0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, the book of Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians and Colossians most of our time this morning. And uh, you'll find it quite helpful to have those open. I'll show a a number of the passages from Ephesians in just a minute. Uh, But I really want you to have Colossians open. Today's message is the most important one I'm going to give the whole time I'm here. And it really hinges on whether or not we believe the the words that we just sang, that we're not alone, that God is for us, and love endures forever, we're not alone, our God empowers us. But we have some tools in our arsenal that we don't take advantage of, or we give lip service to. And they're at the heart of what this church is doing right now. So I'm going to ask you to open your hearts and listen with your hearts. Now, we're going to start off a little more lighthearted, but we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty before we're done. So I want you to hang on and work with me today, please. Father, we come to you. We ask for your help to not just do, but to be the people who believe the words we've sung this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, shortly after electricity was invented and I was 11 years old, (laughs) and we were a lot simpler than 11-year-olds today, this was my Christmas present. It was actually right before my 11th birthday. Any of y'all ever remember that? A James Bond attache case. And it was so cool. And spies were all the rage. Russia had sent up Sputnik. The space race was on. The Cold War was full bore. Except in my house, James Bond was too racy. So before he was ducky on NCIS, he was Ilya Kuryakin in The Man from UNCLE. That was one of those shows I could watch along with one other, and that secret agent's name was Maxwell Smart. Yeah, darling, I'm, I made it to Pine Tree just fine despite the weather this morning. Oh, sorry about that, Chief. Now, those of you that remember Maxwell Smart know what I'm talking about. If you don't, go ask your grandparents. <laughs> One of the things that was so cool about this attache case is that when you closed it up, those little orange things that kind of look red... If you look at the back screen, they're a little oranger here. Those were bullets, and you could load your attaché case, and you could put it under your arm like this, or you could set it on the table and point it at somebody, and it would raise a quilt on them. You just punch a little button on the attaché case, and bam, you could nail them. Now, that's pretty cool for an 11-year-old. I'm not sure how spiritual it was... And uh, let's just say my attitude was straightened out on several occasions because of that, but I enjoyed it. Because with secret agents, as much as they were the superstar, the gadgets that they used were the incredible things that grabbed this little boy's attention. And so, as much as the heroes were the star, we loved the gadgets, which ultimately gave way to this hero for lots, millions and millions of kids. Also, Maxwell Smart, reborn, everybody know this guy's name, it's Go-Go Gadget, Mr. Gadget. Now, why in the world would I throw all that at you? Because whether we like it or not, we're gadget people. I don't know about you, but I've got something on my arm that says I've already got 2,049 steps today. And I didn't realize how much I wander around the podium until I get the feedback from my watch and realize I walk a mile when I'm preaching. That's why some of y'all just don't even look anymore. It drives you crazy because I'm going from side to side. And I've got a gadget in my pocket that we thought was never possible, right? Those of us that remember Dick Tracy and the magic watch that could communicate, some of you have an Apple watch on your hand or your wrist. And you can do all the things we didn't even think was possible. But God didn't give Christians gadgets. He gave us as disciples of Jesus real power. Because we need power. Paul talked about in his personal life, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, these weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's a viper nest of spiritual enemies that he's talking about when he talks about strongholds. When we demolish demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Why is that important? Because we forget that we're at war. Our war is not with people. In fact, our war is not even really with nations. Our war is with the spiritual powers that lie behind those. So Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil and his schemes. Now, I want you to hear this because none of these words mean political rulers or powers. These are all specific biblical terms for demonic forces. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a spiritual war that goes on. God ta- Jesus talks about, don't look down on children because their angels see the faces of God. Hebrews 1 talks about angels or ministering spirits sent to serve those who are being saved. We're told that while we worship, angels, maybe our own protective angels, surround us. We read in Daniel that there are angels that represent God's people and also represent nations, and that those nations are doing battle with evil. Those spiritual forces are doing battle, God's angels, with the evil forces that seek to take on nations. And so behind all that, there is this battle. So Paul reminds the Ephesians, probably the same time he writes the Colossians, what's going on. And he says, I pray that your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, so two things he talks about is our hope of being with God and secondly the inheritance we are co-inheritors with Christ of everything that God has promised in the future. But notice the third one and is incomparably great power for those of us who believe. We are not alone. Isn't that what we say? Our God is with us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? The power that we have that is at work within us through the Holy Spirit, he goes on to say, is the power that was the same mighty strength that, ex- that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms above every other power. We are not impotent in the spiritual war that we're involved in. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is present in everyone that has confessed Jesus is Lord and participated in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the reason that is true is because we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit inside us. And collectively, we're not just a collection of gifts and interests and people that come from a common walk. But we are channeling together and joining together the power of the Holy Spirit collectively that is within us. And that's what makes a church powerful. Paul goes on and he says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. In case somebody doesn't want to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit there are two things I would remind you. If the Holy Spirit is not in you, you're not a child of God. That's what Romans 8 9 says. Number two, if the Spirit of God is in you, then we can pray that God would strengthen you with His power that's within you. When we pray that God will help people as only He can help them, it's a euphemism or a way to dodge talking about the Holy Spirit. We're asking God to comfort them with the comforter. We're asking God to empower them with the Holy Spirit. We're asking God to give them strength they don't have and abilities they don't have because God is present within them with the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So when Paul finishes this prayer, he says, now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his Power that is at work within us. Not the apostles, not the first century folk, but believers. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so when Paul prays all these things for the Ephesians, he gets to the payoff point talked about the spiritual armor, and he said, okay, I've told you all about the spiritual armor, and you can pick those up, but they're not going to do you much good if you don't do this. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind, always be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. But he goes on and he says, don't just pray for them, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray for me that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is not an idol. Pray for me, please. Paul's life is on the line in prison. And despite that, he says, we are not alone. Our God is with us. So this morning, I want to talk to you about a hero. Agent 00 Heaven, let's just call him. And you're going to want to have your Bibles open to Colossians because we're going to look at this guy. You probably heard him called Epaphras. Right, some folks call him Epaphras. Uh, unfortunately, I have a tendency to call him Epaphras because that's how we had to pronounce it in Greek. That's the way his name is Epaphras. But today we're going to call him Pappy, just so we're all on the same page. Okay, Pappy, not Pappy. That's that's some of you folks that have just had grandkids, and we'll just call you Pappies. Okay, but this is Pappy. And I want you to notice how he's described in Colossians 1 and verse 7. Now understand that that Paffy was being disrespected by the people he shared the gospel with. He had shared the gospel in Colossae. Paul had never been to Colossae. And they were being threatened by people from the outside that said, Well, you didn't have an apostle give you all the gospel. So we're going to... Teach you some mysterious things that you don't know. And Paul begins from right off the beginning. He said, you learned the true gospel from Pathy. You learned it from him. He taught you the truth. It's the same truth that's bearing fruit all over the world. And then he goes on and he says, you learned this message from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister or servant of Christ on our behalf. And who also told you, told us of your love in the Spirit. So even though they were disrespecting him, he was still serving them by serving Paul and speaking good words for them. Now go to chapter 4. And we'll pick up in verse 12 as he closes the letter. And these are the words that are so terribly important for us. Epaphras. Pathy is one of you. He's a cornbread Christian. He's not an apostle. He didn't see Jesus after the resurrection. He had another job. He had another life. But he's one of you. Secondly, he's a servant of Christ Jesus. And he sends his greetings. Number three, he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I want you to notice what Paul is doing with these words. Number one, he's praising Paffy for being a prayer warrior. It's the last thing he says. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. I don't like to flash Greek, and I get frustrated when preachers do that, and they can't even pronounce the words right, which shows they really don't know what they're talking about. So I don't do that much. But the word for wrestling in prayer is agonizamai. That's where we in English got our word agony or agonize. It's the word from the arena where wrestlers in the Olympics would wrestle with each other. But before it was that, it was about hand-to-hand combat and warfare. So when it talks about wrestling, it's not... At base, a wrestling match, it's a life-and-death, hand-to-hand struggle in combat. Think of Jacob as he became Israel, and he wrestled all night with an angel of God. That's what Paffy is doing for them. He is a prayer warrior, and that's where the term comes from. Number two, he's he's urging the rest of the church... To be just like Pathy. Go back to Colossians 4, 2. We were just in verse 12. Go back to verse 2. And Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. He didn't just just say, okay, if you think about it, pray. Or when you have an opportunity, pray. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Just like the early Christians in Acts 2. You remember that's one of the four things they devoted themselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So what Paul is doing is he's urging the rest of the church to be like Pathy, because Epaphras wasn't with them. He was with Paul. He was ministering to Paul in prison. And he's saying, while this guy's gone, we need you to step it up and be a prayer warrior too. Number three, he's trusting in the power of their prayers to accomplish his mission with them and throughout the rest of the world. Now, what does that mission hinge on? It hinges on God. Because there is not a single outward appearance that would suggest Paul is going to make it out of prison and be alive. And he's going to be able to continue on his mission journey. Or he's going to be able to preach the gospel where it's never been preached before because that's his calling before God. Or share the message with Gentiles. That nothing about Paul's mission appears to be operational. But he's praying for them to pray to God that that mission is successful. Now, I don't think that I have to tell most folks that have been around a while that we live in an interesting and dangerous time for believers. We whine a little bit about some of the changes in laws and difficulties here. I spent four hours trying to pay translators earlier this week. these are translators I have to pay by Western Union and find ways to get them money so they don't get killed. They're in Pakistan and Egypt and India. So when we say we live in dangerous times, those are folks that know it. One of those translators has lost an uncle and a cousin. And he would have lost his children if he hadn't been out doing communion last Easter in nearby villages with little churches his children would have been part of the Christian children that were blown up in Lahore, Pakistan. They know what it's like to live in a dangerous world. And those brothers and sisters depend upon us. It's a dangerous time. And we live in an important time in our culture, and we live in an important time in the life of this church, and we live in an important time in our search for a new minister. Today, today, your search team, After a week of prayer, we'll begin to be paired with candidates that they'll partner with the rest of the way through our search. We're in the nitty-gritty of the search. It's an important time. And it's an important time in our life at Pine Tree as you begin to let the mission settle in to make and mature and multiply disciples. And we're in a moment where the congregation is going to decide whether or not it's going to be led by the Spirit or it's going to be led by the flesh. I didn't stutter when I said that. Because every church faces that decision. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there are several things that are on the burner in the heart of this church that are crucial. God's looking for people who will realize the real enemy and that it's not other people. And it's not unbelievers. And it's not Muslims and Hindus. The real enemy is Satan and the bondage he holds people in. And like the guy that lost his uncle and his cousin and would have lost his children had he not been off on mission, he doesn't want us to pray that Muslims will be destroyed. He asked us to pray that they will be like Saul who became Paul, who went from persecuting believers to being proclaimers. And that's actually happening in many places. God is looking for us to be a people who go to battle in prayer for our brothers and sisters around the world and for this church. So, we have some things to focus on. Not a part of the search, but part of the hearts of your leaders, your elders, your deacons, your mission team that's working on mission and vision. It's 40 days of prayer. And this 40 days of prayer is not directly related to the search. It's related to this church being God's church doing God's mission. And so the search is a part of it, but it's just a part. And if you haven't gotten on the list, please do. These stories are wonderful. They're wonderful. And then the prayers are even better. If my English friends will pardon me just a little bit... It's good to read the stories. It's gooder to read those prayers. It's just gooder. Number two, we need you to pray for the search. Keep praying for the search. Pray for the candidates. Pray for the churches they come from. We don't want to steal somebody from a church that needs that person and that family. But if God is calling that person, we want them to be available and in tune. And we want to be able to bring them in. And then one of the key things that you guys are blessed with is you got a bunch of kids. Percentage-wise, you got a bunch of kids compared to most churches across today. And I've asked you before, you know, ask Bruce, ask Whitney, who are some kids that need to be prayed for? And they won't tell them that you ask. You just begin to pray for them, those families. Pray for them. Live so that your grandchildren can pass on faith, whether those are the grandchildren of the church or your own spiritual grandchildren or your physical grandchildren. Pray. But here's the temptation. And I run into this every church I go to. They want to approach hiring a preacher like hiring somebody at another job. And so they say, well, who's somebody that's got a career in preaching that's pretty good? And what are his qualifications? And then they bring him in for an interview and see how he does. And they want to know what the goal of his ministry is. And a lot of churches even open the door and let people apply and give an application to the job. And then always we look at resumes. I can remember at breakfast early one morning with an elder that I dearly love at a church I work with. He said, I know we need to go through all these motions so that the church feels like it's a part of the search. But I could hire us a preacher in six weeks because that's what I did with the school system all these years. The other elders at the table ducked their heads and I just let the silence hang there. And I said, how has that worked in our brotherhood? A series of preachers that stayed two and a half or three years. That's been better in some places, but the vast majority, that's, that's the story. Because you, you do the search and somebody does the choosing, but the church isn't asked to pray. It's just kind of there's a prayer to baptize it at the beginning and the end so that it feels spiritual. And then I ask the real question. How did that work this last time for you guys? because they were in a mess. And by every one of those criteria, the guy that they hired, and that's the language they used, not partnered, the guy they hired met every criteria. And he was gone in less than 18 months. It was a mess. And it wasn't because he was a bad guy, and it wasn't because it was a bad church, and it wasn't because they didn't spend time But it was because of that attitude. Either this is a spiritual process or it's a secular process. It's one of the two. And we want this to be a spiritual process. We want it to be a hard time where a church has to look inside itself and say, are we a good church regardless of who is our preacher? Because a church has to come to that determination Because God sent a Savior a long time ago, and his name is Jesus. And we're not looking for a Savior. We're looking for a partner. That has similar dreams and similar passions. That cares about young people and old people and folks in between. Because this is a multi-generational congregation. And so you can't have a slot preacher come in here. And we're not looking for Mr. Golden Mouth that's super eloquent. We want him to speak well, but he's also got a minister at the bedside. This is not a church that can hire a speaker and then ask other folks to be in the lives of other people. And you've got to have somebody that's going to connect to a community of communities. And the only way we're going to get that is to scratch that model and go to this one. The prayer warriors. Young and old, men and women, rich and poor, passionate about wearing out the knees in their jeans or their everyday clothes because they're regular in prayer. You see, we have to believe that prayer matters to be a prayer warrior, that it matters to God, that it matters to our situation, that it matters to us. Secondly, we have to believe that when we pray, God moves. He does something. And when God begins to do something, what happens with us? It means we're moved. And I'm convinced that some of the reasons that that we've ham and egged it, do you all understand that term? Ham and egged it. We've gone together with the search process and with stuff going on here. The reason I believe that's happened is not because we had this grand plan, but because God had a grand plan. And there were already people praying and asking God to lead this process. And so you've had a bunch of stuff aligned, and I just get to walk in here and enjoy the alignment. I hope you see some of those processes that began even long ago, over a year ago, when Richie was still here and hadn't thought about leaving yet. God's been moving in this church. Number three, we have to believe it molds us. Prayer changes us more than it does anyone else because it reminds us of two things if we hear the passages that we've listened to about prayer. That we pray to God and ask for Him to work with power in His people and we give thanks to God for what He has done for us. Those are the two things in those passages we looked at on prayer. And as we submit ourselves to that, we're changed. We're aligned with God. And as we bring that together in the life of a church, it molds us into a force that can do things that are bigger than we can ask or imagine. So remember who a prayer warrior is. It's not some super spiritual person that says great stuff from the podium. And it's not somebody that retreats out into the desert and is a monk and isolated from the realities of life. There may be a time to withdraw. Jesus did. But six-sevenths of our life have to be spent in the real world where it is tough and hard and busy. And so when we're looking for prayer warriors, we want someone who is one of us, who has a heart of a servant that wants what Jesus wants, even above what they want. And they're always wrestling in prayer for this church and for the work of God. That's who we're looking for. I love that. I found this a long time ago. We made this into an image years ago on Heartlight. So I didn't make this slide up for today. But I love this because this needs to be the look that every Christian wears every single day. Day. And whether they're khakis or they're polyester wool blend or they're an Italian suit or they're coveralls, whatever our attire is, they need to be worn out in the knees. So that's what I'm challenging you to do. Remember the three areas of focus, 40 days of prayer, And every time you read one of those, what are you going to hear? One of us, servant of Jesus Christ, and a prayer warrior. I mean, if you go look at the first seven, I I haven't gotten the eighth one today. Maybe it will come in sometime during the day. But the first seven, they fit that description. It's so cool. So, remember, 40 days of prayer. Number two, the search, especially the preacher and his family, as they listen for the call of God in the search team, as they listen to the call of God and the elders as they ultimately decide. And number three, please remember, please remember to pray that this is a church that knows how to pass on faith to its grandchildren. We want every kid that grows up here to someday go to Honduras or Ghana or their equivalent and share their faith. Guys, this is a a really good church, and I don't know if sometimes you forget that because you see the warts because you've lived with each other a long time. And the problem with everybody in in the pews here is the same problem I have every morning. I see somebody that's got flaws and weaknesses and imperfections and irritations and I see that person every time I look in the mirror. So it's kinda cool that when the cup goes by we got those silver reflective trays and as a boy I used to look at the light reflecting off of that and dancing on the ceiling and I thought there were angels here and I was so thrilled when I learned they actually are here from 1 Corinthians 11 but now what I do is I catch that really blurred reflection of my own image around that blood of Jesus that was shed for me and I'm reminded I am really imperfect but in Jesus and by his blood Colossians 1 says I'm faultless and holy and free from accusation. That's who God wants to use. So I challenge you to be in prayer. There's one prayer that I'm going to ask you to put with the 40 days of prayer list. And if your Bible is still open to Colossians 1, I want you to look at verse 19. uh, Verse 9, and it runs through verse 14. I'm going to ask... If you're an elder, would you please stand? If you're a deacon, please stand. If you're a part of the search team, please stand. And if you're part of the mission team and not standing, the folks that are working on the mission, please stand. Now, I'm going to ask that everybody else close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm going to ask you guys to look around as I read this prayer over the congregation and let the, the Holy Spirit prompt you to pray special prayers for these folks. And I'm going to ask the church to be in prayer these 40 days, the next, 40, the next 33 days, and include this passage, Colossians 1, 9 through verse 14. Let's pray. For this reason... So that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in an inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. In whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask you to make this true in this church for these leaders. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I'm going to ask everybody else to stand. And you probably noticed I didn't ask your, pre- your ministers to be a part of standing there if they weren't part of one of these teams. Because I want you to see your ministers not as a separate group, but as an equipping group of this church family. They're part of you. They're vital to you. But also, you've got to include them as part of you. They've got to be part of your family and not part of your staff. That's one of those secular terms we need to get rid of. They're our ministry partners. They're our quippers. This morning, I challenge you to join me as I try to amp up being a passionate prayer warrior. Some of you may need to come to Christ or have burdens on your heart. If you have burdens on your heart, just go to the back and folks will help get you to elders. If you're ready to make a a commitment to follow Jesus, this is a great time as we sing.